the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Reflections on the 4th of July, and later there have been more shootings. How should Christians respond? What makes a relationship healthy? And later, evangelical anxiety. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good on this Tuesday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I am joined once again by my very good friend and special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for being with us today. Hey, good afternoon. I'm so happy to be here today. So happy that you're here. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but bless Catherine's heart. She has been fighting COVID. Now you're at the tail end of it. I hope so. But she is here. She is showing up. She is like a professional woman and is, you know, it's been long enough that it is okay for her to be here with us. Yes. But we'll have to talk about that experience a little bit later with you, Catherine. But thank you for showing up even when you may not be at the top of your top of your uh, professional radio game. But we're so <laughs> glad that you're here with us today. Well, I assume that this is just going to cheer me right up. And yep. it's good. It's for the common good, you know, it's for so the it'll be good, good. for me. Mm-hmm. Look at you. I just, I, I love that. Yeah. Well, Catherine, uh, you know, Brian is out of town. He's celebrating the 4th of July with his family. Apparently they go to a cabin every year. Did you guys oh. do anything special for the 4th yesterday? We did not. Um, my husband and children and parents went to see fireworks. I laid on the couch. Bless your heart. Yeah. That's good. That's probably a good How about thing. you? You know, uh, my husband and oldest son are out of town. So I took my two littles to a local pool. We spent the Aww. whole day there. That was actually on Sunday, not yesterday. And then we went to the uh, some fireworks on Sunday night. And so yesterday I kind of felt like we had we had done, done the that. fire. We yeah. done it. Like we had done the 4th of July. But of course, if you're in the Chicagoland area, um, you know, I think all of our all of our 4th of mm. Julys were rocked mm. by the news of this mass shooting in Highland oh, Park, it's, Illinois. It's devastating. Absolutely You devastating. actually texted me yesterday, Aubrey, have you heard this story? I just I got the update on it. And then, you know, of course, I just Googled Highland Park. And it's like, I mean, one, Catherine, we are, we are getting to the point where uh, these mass shootings are just becoming such a common event that it's starting... I don't know about you. I don't know how you respond to this. I actually would love to know how you respond to this kind of thing. But it is starting to feel very risky to go out into like oh. public um, events like a 4th of July parade when that shouldn't. I mean, maybe I'm being naive here. Maybe I'm being Pollyannish here. But that should not be so. Like we should be able to take our kids to a 4th of July parade. These precious people in Highland Park should have been able to enjoy that yesterday mm. without the threat of death. Absolutely. And yet now that there are more, what is it, more mass shootings in America than days in the year is oh, a statistic oh I keep hearing. It, it's just, I don't know. My, I'm, I'm heavy, weary. I know our listeners are too. How are you processing this, Catherine? Well, you know, every mass shooting is a tragedy 
Yes. But we just can't help but feel the ones that hit close to home, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I'm connected to people that were at that parade, not that oh. I know personally, but, you yeah. know, a friend of a friend, of a neighbor course. of a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was born in Highland Park, actually. Wow. So, And it's, our, it's ours, you know? This is one yeah. of our communities. Yeah. So I was feeling it deeply yesterday, and it was it was a bit hard to, to watch my children drive off to a similar was. celebration that afternoon. Um, to your point, our society, all civilizations are based on the ability for people to gather and mm-hmm. go to school and go to church and go to work yeah. with an assumption of a certain level of safety and yeah. sort of a gentleman's agreement that we all have with each right. other, that we're right. going to mind our own business and right. then we're going to come back home. And I agree that is becoming increasingly um, something to think twice about. And that's going to have implications, not just for life and death, but even just for how we function as a society. We need to get a handle on this. Yeah, we We, need to get a handle on it. I I think that's the thing that I keep coming back to, Catherine, is like, okay, how many mass shootings will it take before we get a handle on it? How many of these stories? Because it's like, okay, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I snap my fingers. I know the answer, but it just feels like the weight of this needs, as Shakespeare said, needs to be obeyed. And something has to give. Our political leaders have got to make differences. Our mental health community has to, you know, I I don't know. Again, I don't know the answer. I don't really want to pretend like I know the answer. But some things have to change. That's part of the problem. We don't know the answer. Uh, There has been intentionally a lack of research done by our government into why this happens and what factors, factors that we would all agree on. What mm-hmm. factors could make a difference? We need to do that research. Yeah, that's that's uh, um, uh, it's yeah, it's just another another sobering story. There was another uh, shooting, Catherine, over the weekend. Twenty-five-year-old um, oh. uh, Jalen Walker in Ohio uh, was involved Terrible. in a police shooting. Officer shot and killed a twenty-five-year-old black man on Monday as he fled police who were pursuing him for a traffic violation. And an equipment violation, of course, you know, the city of Akron, Ohio, exploded in protest. And I mean, again, like, I know these aren't the same, right? A a mass shooting is not the same Mm -hmm. as a police shooting. And in fact, I, you know, when those who are meant to protect in society are actually doing the opposite, that's a whole other conversation. But again, I think there is so much... I, I, there's so much devastation, emotion, anger around this story, obviously, rightly yes. so, I think. Yes. And, and this is another one where you kind of go, okay, God, how are we supposed to respond to this? You said you weren't totally familiar with the story, Catherine, but I know you've, you've seen uh, more and more of it in the news. What was your kind of feeling as you process this, your thoughts as you process oh, this? Oh my. Yes. Like you said, I, I know only the basic facts. I don't know a lot of the nuance, um, yeah. but anytime I hear that someone has been killed, it's devastating. Yeah. And to have there be yet another story of a police officer shooting and killing um, someone at a stop, a, a an African-American man, yeah. someone who it seems was unarmed. Yeah. Um, again, here's where I get into my lack of knowledge of the details, mm-hmm. but it is devastating. And again, we as Christians need to seek for justice and truth. We need to yeah. be willing to take a hard look at yeah. these things and 
seek, pursue a society where everyone has access to justice yep. and shalom. Yeah. I think, and ultimately, that's where I kind of wanted to lead this conversation to, Catherine. It, you know, it's a heavy one for a Tuesday afternoon right after the 4th, but we can't deny this is the reality of the world we're living in right now. And so how do Christians respond? Certainly, we need to be on our knees praying and lamenting. I think along with that is what you just said, a, a call, whether it's you're actively writing your uh, political leaders, whether it's you're out there protesting, whether you're starting something to make a difference, you're just having Mm -hmm. conversations across your table, like whatever sphere you're sort of operating in or feel called to operate in, there has to be a movement, like you said, towards we need to see justice in our land. We need to see change in our land and that we can no longer ignore these things or uh, close our eyes to them because it is, um, I, I just don't think it's right for the Christian to do that. Like, I feel like we should have a sense of justice and shalom for everyone, thriving for everyone, almost more than the rest of the population, because we understand we that's what mm-hmm. God has called yes. Uh, yes. God's desire for us. Yes. What, and as Christians, go ahead. I think we don't need to be afraid to recognize that there's sin. That That's sin it. has drenched every layer of our existence yes. on the earth. Yes. So we, sh- there's no need for us to be defensive mm. or, or have a difficult time looking at the ways that whether we, whether as individuals or as a group have contributed without even realizing it, that's not something we need to become defensive about because that's, that's the bedrock of our understanding of existence. Mm, We just simply do contribute to brokenness in ways we can't even see. And we don't need to be afraid to look at that because we know we're covered by love. We're covered Mm. by grace. And that can free us to take a hard look at the ways Mm. we as individuals or as groups have failed to create the kind of society God has asked us to create. Mm. And I think someone who truly knows the love and grace of God is not going to be afraid to have that hard conversation. Oh, we can be the leaders there. Yes. Oh, it's such a good word for all of us, Catherine. Catherine, we've had to cover some pretty heavy stories, even just in the last like a, a half hour. <laughs> yeah. And the stories continue to get heavier. Now, this one may not have impacted our listenership, but this story deeply impacted our families, yes, especially our children. Yes. Uh, the story, and, and we'll hear some audio in just a little bit from this YouTuber's dad, but there's a, a YouTuber, really a like gaming influencer that our kids follow, a young man by the name of Technoblade. His real name is Alex. He died of cancer. He did. And um, he died, was it last week, Catherine? It or was. the weekend? It no, was last it week. was, let's see, it was Wednesday night. No, and, it was Thursday night. <laughs> Thursday and my night. kids like immediately were telling me about it and telling me about how some of the, some of the gaming platforms like Minecraft were um, giving these just very intentional nods to Technoblade. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. kind of makes me cry just even talking about it now. But oh, my- I know. I know your kids were impacted. My kids were very impacted by the story because in one sense, for them, these YouTubers, uh, especially gaming ones, are like their new heroes and they feel like they're their friends. They watch their videos constantly. And so this, I think for my kids was sort of the first, you know, it sounds funny, but we all, I think there are certain celebrities were impacted by when they die. For my kids, I think they felt like they really lost someone that they 
whether it was real or not, they felt close to. Yes. And that caused them some heartache. Your kids were hurt by this too, right? Yes. Oh, very deeply. I actually have a son who makes YouTube videos. He has a YouTube channel and um, he quotes cites Technoblade as one of his main inspirations. And so he asked me if he could spend the day making his own tribute video to Technoblade, which he did. And which is, it's truly very beautiful. Okay, Um, this is making me so (laughs) emotional. Wow. Yeah, it's, you know, it's his 13-year-old version of a of a of a tribute but it's uh Mm. uh my children are early risers they never get up later than me as you know (laughs) amazing Uh, with a number that begins with a six or a five no matter what's going on so so brutal i woke up on friday morning to find my children in tears and i learned Mm. about the news and i watched the videos with them and then i joined them in tears yeah Um, you know, it sounds like Technoblade was truly um, a good guy. He was, I yeah. think he was only 23, so he's yeah. kind of one of them, even though right, you know, right. maybe 10 years older, but maybe like a mentor almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And he, int- he intentionally kept his content um, kind of s- viewer-focused, yeah. uh, not dropping a lot of F-bombs or right. anything that's going right. to... Um, yeah, and now... He's, he's gone. Yeah. So such a sad story. I actually want to play a little bit of audio from his dad. His dad created a video oh. mostly for the fans. And he read a letter that Alex wrote before he died. And it's, you know, any parent watching that knows the pain of this father saying goodbye to his son on behalf of his son, too. Oh. Oh. So Buckle let's go up. ahead and, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm tearing up even introducing it. Let's go ahead and take a listen to Technoblade's dad talking about his passing. Hi, I'm Technoblade's dad. He wrote a message and he asked me to read it to all of you. Hello everyone, Technoblade here. If you're watching this, I am dead. So let's sit down and have one final chat. My real name is Alex. I had one of my siblings call me Dave one time in a deleted video from 2016 and it was one of the most successful pranks we've ever done. Thousands of creepy online dudes trying to get overly personal going, Oh, hey, Dave, how's it going? Sorry for selling out so much in the past year, but thanks to everyone that bought hoodies, plushies, and channel memberships. My siblings are going to college. Well, if they want to. I don't want to put any dead brother peer pressure on them. But that's all from me. Thank you all for supporting my content over the years. If I had another hundred lives, I think I would choose to be Technoblade again every single time, as those were the happiest years of my life. I hope you guys enjoyed my content and that I made some of you laugh, and I hope you all go on to live long, prosperous, and happy lives, because I love you guys. Technoblade out. So, Catherine, I, I think my, my kids loved that video because it felt like such a personal touch. Um, I think that was a necessary part of, of the grieving process. I feel bad in one sense that uh, Technoblade's dad had to share yes. his grief with the whole world. That Within almost felt hours. unfair to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in one sense, I imagine there's a such a pride knowing my child has influenced and impacted so many yeah. young lives. Like I have to make this statement. Uh, I, you know, anyway, go ahead. Well, it's one of the funny things about our modern world. You know, 
it's in this video announcing his death where we hear his real name for the first time. For the first time. For the first time. We didn't know his name was Alex. So, you know, their family lived in this strange reality where they were just an American family doing the same American family thing we all do. But their son was beloved by millions, you know? So (laughs) wild. Uh, they had to kind of step into mm-hmm. both reality. Mm-hmm. And I would say to any parents listening, you may not know that this happened. You may not, depending on your communication level with your kids, you may not know that this actually really impacted your kids. If, mm-hmm. if your kids are in any time of like g- gaming fan, this probably impacted them. So it's worth bringing up. And in fact, uh, my pediatrician, Catherine, yesterday sent a really, it was a fantastic email. It was related to the shooting at the Highland Park 4th of July parade that we talked about earlier in the show. But I think this, these were some good tips for parents talking to their kids about any type of tragedy, any type of loss. And I wanted to share these with these before we, um, before we close. Um, the first thing they said is this, be aware of your own reactions to these events Hmm. And attempt to refrain from alarming your children through verbal and nonverbal cues. And I thought that was really helpful because sometimes I think adults, because we understand the weight of things in a way our kids don't or just at a different level Mm -hmm. of maturity because we are older, it can be easy to sort of put on them the amount of grief we're feeling. That's not necessarily how they're processing. They're processing at their age and that's good. That's okay. That's right. I thought that was good. Absolutely. That is good. Yeah. Another thing the article or the email suggests is to create openness to discussion, but to avoid pressuring the children to talk. Oh, I have a hard time with that one. Every every child's reaction is unique to their personality and developmental stage. Uh, That's good. I'm I'm such a talker. That's why I'm here on the radio with you. And um, I definitely have a tendency to ask too many questions (laughs) rather than just say, yeah. You know, I'm here if you want to I'm talk about it. Let's go me. have some ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is a good tip, I think, for all parents. Um, the next one they say is monitor your children's TV and online news consumption. Make sure they are not overly exposed to tragedies. Mm. I think that's really good. Children process this type of information much differently than adults, and um, you know, things of this personally impact them more often than adults do. Uh, or it, the personal impact the personal impact can be greater than what it is for adults. So make sure your children understand that they are safe and secure. I think that's That's really really good. good. Do you want to read the last one for us, Catherine? Yeah. It says to look for signs that your child is struggling to cope with their emotions. Mm. So for young children specifically be looking for an increased fear of separation, regression skills, like maybe they're wetting the bed or they don't want to get dressed by themselves, Mm. hyperactivity or anger. You know, we tend to maybe punish some of those things, but they can be a sign that children aren't okay and they need extra help, extra gentleness, extra Mm, love. Um, For older children, they're saying to look out for increased isolation, irritability or seeming withdrawn or disinterested in Hmm. normal things like school or friends. Hmm. And then if you see any of those issues, that's the time to really try to start a conversation and contact your pediatrician Hmm. or your pastor or some helpful person in your community for help. Uh, such, such a good list for all of us as we continue to walk our kids through some of these really hard things in the world. Catherine, um, you have written a book that we've talked about uh, before in the show called Fearing Bravely. I Risk- sure did. Uh, tell me the subtitle because it's oh, a lot. Sorry about Risking that. Risking love for... 
Risking love for our neighbors, strangers, and enemies is the I subtitle. I love it. It's so yeah. good. So I'm bringing that up because I, I was uh, over at Relevant Magazine and saw this article called Three Ways You Can Love Those Who Think Differently. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this reminds me a lot of Catherine's book. So Catherine, before we even dive into the article... Talk to our listeners about loving people who think differently, feel differently, are different than you. Why, why does that matter oh, and how do man. you even do it? Well, you know, it matters for Christians because yeah. that's what God told us we had to do. Amen. So there you have it. Uh, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that that's the most important thing we can do. And that if we want to summarize literally everything God asks of us, it's that love your mm. neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And then as he's teaching, he slowly but surely expands his definition of neighbor to include anyone who's in need, even if they're a stranger, especially if they're a stranger, a traveler, mm. a foreigner, an immigrant. And then he expands his definition. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemies Woo. and pray for those who are persecuting you. Whoa. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we have mm. no loophole. There's no, you know, you and I can't get together and kind of put, start whispering about those people that we hate. Yeah. Even the people we think are dangerous. Once mm. we identify them, we have to go out and start serving them. Dang. So, Yeah. Oh man, Jesus. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, he, uh, breaking, breaking molds and boundaries he uh, is way more readily than we are, even as followers of Jesus, aren't we? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Whoo. Yes, oh. ma'am. He said it was going to be a hard road and we should consider if we wanted to follow him or not. Mm. But if we're gonna, that's what we have to do. That's the call for all of us. I think that's such a good word, Catherine. So, um, this author over at Relevant, her name is Angela Parrott. She says that this, um, you know, we can often be attempt, we can often be tempted to put our allegiance in the wrong order. If you are, this is her words, if you're an American and you're a Christian, then you're a Christian American. Yes. We often view ourselves as American Christians instead. And she says, we struggle to show kindness and seek unity with other believers. Our error comes from forgetting where our true identity lies. So she's got these three tips on how we can love those who are different than us. And the first thing is, is kind of what she was just saying there, that our allegiance to Christ should always be first. And yes. that's essentially what you were just saying that mm -hmm. like, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're, we wear Jesus's name, we follow Jesus's way, then that's the allegiance. So like, I mean, there's no, there's no, like you said, loopholes. There's no if, ands or buts about loving our strangers, neighbors and enemies. That's yeah. the call. That's it. Yes. Jesus said that his people would be known by their love. Mm. So, you know, we have a lot of American symbols that identify Americans. Mm. Um, we got flags, we've got guns, we've got slogans. We can readily recognize an American, but how do we recognize a Christian? Well, wow. God says it's by our love. Wow. And Catherine, I, I mean, I know this, the big answer to this is sin, Mm -hmm. But as you unpacked in your writing of fearing bravely, what beyond sin, what keeps us from doing this? Because if this is the obvious call from Christ, why is this so difficult? Well, 
my book is called Fearing Bravely. I think we're afraid. And yeah. I think we have yeah. good reason to be afraid. I don't think uh, it, this is, there's an easy answer here. Right. We know that enemies, strangers, and sometimes even neighbors, as we've seen so vividly in the past few days, mm. can be very dangerous. And life right. is fragile and precious. Right. Right. So often what feels <sighs> what feels safest is to hunker down and, you know, grab some method of protection and yeah, kind of yeah. hold the line. Yeah. But I think two things are important. First of all, that doesn't actually make us safer. It mm. the, All the research demonstrates that Jesus actually knew what he was talking about, go figure. Right. And that the more afraid we are, the more prone to protect ourselves we feel, the more mm. likely we are to attack someone and wow. miss, kind of misgauge whether or not they're actually dangerous. We become wow. the dangerous people. We wow. contribute to the violence in society. And the only way out of this, mm. both neurologically and socially, is for us to put our weapons down and start actively loving each other. Wow, Catherine. I mean, that's, that is unbelievable. I mean, that's incredible. I'm so glad you just said that. The next thing that this uh, author says, Angela Parrott at Relevant Magazine, another way you can love someone who thinks differently than you, um, is she says we should be pro-life and pro-choice. Now, now hear hmm. what she's saying for those of you who are like, what? Hear what she's saying. She's saying when we are pro-life or pro-choice, we should mean it all the way. So if we're pro-life, we should value life at all of its beautiful stages, yes. as well as the life of those who thinks differently. But then she says, if we're pro-choice, we should mean it. We can't cancel others because they choose differently than we do. Hmm. This is something I've always said about pro pro-choice folks like you can't it can't be that you're pro-abortion it can be that you're pro-choice so if I'm choosing life you respect that if you're not you respect that but like you need to be pro-life or pro-choice all the way what are your thoughts hmm. about that one Oh, man, how much time do we have? <laughs> These are really complex issues. I was just you know, thinking that. Um, mm -hmm. I think we need to be aware of the harm that we're doing each other mm. um, and do everything we can to do no harm. And so, you know, I'm not going to say, you know, Aubrey, do you want to live in a way that's harmful to others? You know, go for it. That's your choice. Right. But on the other hand, I think we need to realize that if I'm going to step into your house and start screaming at you about your choices... Mm. I'm I'm harming you. Yeah. So yeah. oh, we, we need so much humility and discernment together in community, like we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. being around people whose love for us is willing to call us out, yeah, um, because good. these are hard things to do. They are hard things to do. The last one she says, and this goes back to some of the stuff you're writing about, Catherine. Pray for our enemies. And mm. she talks about um, Jesus calling us to. Uh, she's quoting first, or quoting John thirteen here. I give you a new commandment: love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And this is what you were saying earlier. Everyone will know this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And she talks about specifically praying, blessing, serving, loving wow. our enemies. So wow. really, really, I think. Um, challenging word for all of us in these increasingly divisive days. But again, it's the call of Christ. And so I think for those of us who have been shown love that we did not deserve by yes. God in Jesus, 
then we have, it's not even that we have no choice. It's that we are compelled by the Holy Spirit's power and compelled by the love of God to follow Jesus's way of loving others. So this doesn't have to be this like awful, terrible thing. This is scary. Like you said, this is hard, like you said. And yet what a beautiful thing if we were to actually take Jesus seriously and be empowered by his, his love to love others. Yeah. I love that you just said it's not that we don't have a choice. We do have a choice. Yeah. Those of us who are Christians have chosen to follow Jesus. Mm. We have freedom of religion here. We mm. don't have to follow Jesus. Yeah. But following Jesus includes choosing love, not fear, not hatred, even for enemies. And that is a hard road. Jesus said it would be hard. Yeah. He said to choose carefully. Mm, so, so good. And my regular co-host, Brian Fromm, is on vacation. So I am joined by my special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. Catherine, we always love having you here on The Common Good. You just sort of seamlessly pop in now. Oh, I know. I love it. it, it I makes, love it too. Makes my job easier. Makes Brian able to go on all these vacations he's going on. So this is very <laughs> fun to have you. I'm going to have to start leaving a coffee mug here. This is like my home away from home now. <laughs> I love it. You should. <laughs> we should make a sign that just says like Catherine's chair, and we'll yeah, we'll, we'll put it here. It's really have my good. superstore mug sitting next to it. <laughs> oh, superstore! Yeah. I miss superstore. Catherine and I are big fans of the oh. show Superstore. If you don't know what we're talking about, yeah, could we have a whole segment actually where we talk we, about Superstore? We should do because... like a top five list on Superstore sometime. <laughs> I think that is actually a really good idea. Hey, speaking of Superstore, a lot of relationships <laughs> in that show, some healthy and some unhealthy. How was that for a segue? <laughs> That was amazing. Thank you. You get an Emmy for that. Thank or, you. Or something. Thank you. Uh, so that's what we actually want to talk about. Characteristics of healthy relationships. And churchleaders.com just published something called 10 Characteristics of Healthy Relationships. Before we just share their list with you, Catherine, give me one characteristic of a healthy relationship that comes to mind. Oh, can I say honesty? Ah, oh, yes, you can. That's All a right. very good honesty. I was thinking uh, like good communication would be yeah. another one. All right. So with with uh, our the things on our list, let's read what church leaders has to say. Um, I'll share the first one. Okay. Uh, work towards the good of others. I wish they would have said work towards the common good, but it's fine. I'll, oh. I'll go with it. Um. Ultimately, uh, this article is saying that God, um, before fashioning man and woman from the dust of the ground, God spent the early days of creation building out the environment that would house these humans. God was always working for their good, even before they were brought into existence. And so ultimately, we are here to bring about healthy and functional environments for others to thrive. I, I love okay. that concept of us uh, contributing to the flourishing of others. I do think that's our that's our cultural mandate from Genesis to Revelation. I think that's wonderful. All right. Well, the article moves on from there to number two, which is breathe life into others hmm. and goes continues this metaphor of creation where after having kind of laid the groundwork, God personally, intimately breathes life into the new humans. Okay. And... Um, that asks, how are we breathing life into others? Are we mm. engaging with each other? Um, are we helping them become more alive? Mm, that's good. All right. The next thing that they go on to say is be present with others. They're continuing, of course, this, this garden creation metaphor, but God creates a dwelling place, the Garden of Eden, where he will dwell with humanity. 
God was in close proximity with his prized creation and then asked this question, how present are you with those you are in relationship with? This is a good question for me because I tend not to be present if I'm Hmm. not very if I'm not intentional about it. Hmm. Are you physically, emotionally, and even mentally present? Do others feel as though you have time for them? Are you distracted? Etc. I feel like that's a good that's that's a good Mm -hmm. convicting one for many of us. Okay. The next one is, again, very similar. Can you see and anticipate Mm. and then meet the needs of others? Mm. Um, Looking again at Genesis, we see God meeting Adam's needs before Adam even knows that he has them. God notices that Adam needs a companion, um, has already created this world for him. So Mm. that's that's interesting. Can we meet the needs of others? Yeah, that's really good. All right. Another one is celebrate the goodness of and in others. And this article is talking about God declaring, this is good. This is good. This is very good. And I'm kind of encouraging us to image God in that way by celebrating others. Do we note and declare the goodness that we see in them, the image of God in them? I think that's a great, a great um, tip for all of us. Well, number six is something that I love as a former HR person, communicate <laughs> expectations. Ooh, unpack that, <laughs> yes, Catherine. Uh, get, what's the position description? Um, God clearly communicated his expectations for human beings. Hmm. He told them from the beginning, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Like we were saying earlier, love your neighbors, love even strangers and enemies. Yeah. God has made clear some of the simple but things that we need to wrestle through every single day. And are we communicating clearly our expectations for others? Are we just sort of hoping that they'll guess it or are we letting (laughs) them know what we need? Yeah. Communication is kindness, isn't it? When we assume people can read our minds or we're sort of passive aggressive in our communication, that is not healthy at all. Not helpful at all. That's a good one. All right. The seventh one is uh, to communicate healthy boundaries. Not only did God outline clear expectations for Adam and Eve, he also communicated clear boundaries for how they were to live in the garden. This article says that boundaries ultimately help to establish the rules of one's personal space. However, once again, people don't typically communicate with others about their personal Mm. boundaries, yet they get upset when those people cross their boundaries that they've never communicated. I think this is really good. It is so important to set personal boundaries, but it is just as important to tell people what they are. What are your personal boundaries at home, at work, et cetera? And have you shared them with those you are in relationship with? That's a great, uh, it's a great tip for all of us. Well, the eighth tip is to pursue Hmm. that even when Adam and Eve crossed those boundaries, God kept pursuing them. They were hiding in their shame and in their Mm. guilt, but God didn't want to leave the relationship broken like that. So he pursued them gently and graciously. um, And then it asks, how do we pursue others who are in relationship with us? Are we sitting around waiting for them to come after us? Or are we willing to do the inviting? Mm, That's so good. Um, All right. Number nine, practice forgiving and dying. Although there are consequences Mm. for Adam and Eve's sin, God ultimately forgives them. He does not rage at them with vengeful fury, kicking them out of the garden. He mercifully and graciously covers their nakedness with a sacrifice. In healthy relationships, death occurs. Hmm. Do you practice forgiveness? And in what ways are you dying for the health of your relationship? I feel like that's that call to to sacrificial love that we find all throughout the scripture. 
can be a little bit difficult day in and day out. (laughs) Absolutely. It sure can. Well, and that brings us to the 10th, which is love. Mm. All these things are based in love. Without love, none of these characteristics exist. Love is the soil in which relationships Mm. bloom and blossom. Um, So if we're finding ourselves struggling in a relationship, we can ask, do I love this person? Mm, That's good. Now, Catherine, are there any of these that stood out to you personally? Uh, you know, what stood out to me, and this is, I'm, I'm not going to answer the question you're asking. Okay. What stood out to me is how in this metaphor, we continually are thrust into the role of God, mm. which is reasonable because God is certainly the person that we want to emulate. Yeah. Um, but I get concerned when people are constantly seeing themselves in a relationship in the God role. Hmm. I think what's missing here is the fact that we need to be open for others working towards the good and others breathing life into Mm. the situation and others being present, others trying to meet needs um, so that we can also make space for what God is doing through other people and also to receive. Mm. I think that's where a lot of our humility needs to come in, that we realize that we're not the only people God is using in a relationship Mm. or a community. And sometimes we need to just sit back and allow other people to pour into us or to the community or the situation. We don't become little cult leaders because we're not God. Mm. So so maybe a a word about humility would have been helpful to add to this list. And even like uh, breathing life into others was too, but allowing others to breathe life into you or to teach mm-hmm. you or to change you, something like that would have been making sure that we're not becoming too seeing ourselves at the top. Mm, yep. That's a good word for all of us. Catherine, uh, what makes a relationship healthy? Catherine, I don't know how much you read Rolling Stone, mm. but I, somebody actually sent this article to me last week and they were like, what do you think about this? And uh, kind of a controversial article out of Rolling Stone um, about evangelical anxiety. There's a University of Virginia professor of religious studies by the name of uh, Charles Marsh. And hmm. he's really talking about what he calls, this is his language, the cosmic entitlement and mental Ooh. torment Ooh. of the white evangelical mind. So I will say from the start, it is a scathing um editorial on evangelicalism and part of it is uh his own background like uh, some of what he came out of he's really critiquing the evangelical industrial complex and i i want to share a quote with you catherine and just like let's just we, we don't know everything but let's just kind of process this okay it's a little bit of a long one but let me read it to you he says in this article Let's propose that the next issue of the DSM includes a diagnosis called evangelical anxiety. Hmm. Um, And for people who don't know, the DSM is basically like the mental health textbook, which has like diagnoses of of different mental health issues. Okay. Um, That's the layperson's description of it. Okay. So let's propose that the next issue of the DSM includes a diagnosis called evangelical anxiety. It would have descriptions of rapture fears and terrors of the body, and all these attendant manic and panic Hmm. types. But also, I think, it would need to somehow ground that in what is finally this narcissistic identity. It's an identity that is totalitarian in its understanding of the world and its understanding Hmm. of truth. It doesn't admit difference. 
if it sees difference, whether sexual, political, or racial, it wants to obliterate that or consume that or overwhelm that by its own powers. The awakening into a new identity, a born-again identity, is also an awakening in too many cases to a sense of having an answer for every question and a prescription for every kind of sexual behavior, human behavior, of having such supreme confidence that you've been brought into this one truthful, eternally enduring identity. Mm. And so when it observes difference, it simply can't abide difference. It can't ignore difference. It has to remove it. Hmm. Okay, so that's a pretty um, pretty strong statement about the evangelical identity. And I, Catherine, I don't want to put you on the spot, so why don't I go first? Okay, and then I would <laughs> love to. I would love to hear what you think. Okay, I, I, I'm just gonna kind of take it bit by bit. I would say there's some truth about like the rapture fears. Um, with, that can cause some anxiety. When I was a kid, I remember being so freaked out, yes. like the rapture was going to happen. Yes. Um, I I think where I can laugh about that now is because I recognize that that was bad theology. Yes. And so I think I have just in my own journey, and I think a lot of my evangelical friends or post evangelical friends would say the same thing. They've come to a different conclusion. That's more biblical, more, I would say, kind about Mm -hmm. Jesus's return. And so it is not scary like it was when we were kids. But I think there's some truth to this, that like we made kids afraid of this thing called the rapture. Like all of a sudden, like everyone's, and this is mostly because of the Left Behind book series, but everyone's going to be taken away and their clothes are going to be left on the ground. And what if you don't get taken up and you're stuck on earth and it's a hell on earth? Like that's scary for a little kid. And so it I, is. I think, you know, this is not a wrong critique. This is actually fair. And to think about how um, this has impacted uh, other other anxiety has been brought out, not just based on the rapture, but how we think about our bodies, how we think about mm. differences. I, I think there's some real truth here, Catherine. I think what's difficult for me to swallow is I really do... I do believe in the power of a new identity in Jesus Christ. Yes. And so I think that is beautiful and wonderful and brings us wholeness and shalom. And I do believe that Jesus is the king on the throne. And so this is where I, I'm like, okay, I, we've, as Christians, evangelical Christians, we've given the world this sense that our faith is about something else. Hmm, yeah. And I think this is what he's pointing out. Like he's pointing out knowingly or unknowingly, maybe where we have done bad theology. Yes. Yes. Um, but I still think it's in one sense, the critique goes too far because I mean, it, this person is outside of evangelical Christianity, but we would still, I think, stand firm on Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so we're not going to apologize for that point of view. Um, okay, so that's my initial response. What do you think? Well, I feel like I kind of went on a whole journey reading this article. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. <laughs> my my first impulse was just this sentence. Um, let's propose that the next issue of the DSM includes a diagnosis called evangelical anxiety. Mm. And what struck me about that is that is the evangelical anxiety that the, that, that will the, happen that the mainstream world inherently sees us as abhorrent or as yeah. uh, mentally ill. And that we're going to be classified as such and we can't kind of continue on in our beliefs and our worldview and our practices. Mm -hmm. I think that is 
ironically enough, the foundation of evangelical anxiety. But then as I read on, you know, I I am the author of a book called Fearing Bravely. Um, Mm -hmm. I I had to say he's not wrong. We do have... As I myself have written about extensively, somehow we have traded our good, good news. You know, the gospel means good news. And we have yeah. this good news that we have subtly and slowly over time, like a frog in the pan. We haven't even noticed it's happening because it's been so slow. Mm. We have turned this good news into a fearful message mm. that says we have to gain as much power and control as we can because we are in danger. Wow. Um, and I do think he's right that we have let go of a lot of the good news, a lot mm. of the call to love, mm. a love that transforms us, like you're saying, into the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Kindness, goodness, patience. Um, and we have instead embraced a different kind of fruit that Mm. has made us anxious and has made us dangerous. And so if we can, like we talked about last hour, if we can, you know, hold on to our strong beliefs about sin and about love and about grace to consider the ways that we have sinned. Yeah. And, and not be afraid to look at that because we know we're covered in love. We're covered Mm -hmm. in grace. I think we would see a lot in this article. That's good. But then my journey continues. And I want to say something (laughs) really cliche, like, you know, hashtag not all evangelical. Right. I have have seen all of this sort of told totalitarian mm-hmm. um, understanding the world and this grasp yeah. for power and this grasp for um, kind of militant protection of ourselves that is yeah. dangerous and it is literally the opposite of the good news. Mm. But I have also seen communities of people that just want to bring casseroles to people who That's are right. sad and they That's want right. to sit with the people who are sick and they want to give all their money to make sure that their neighbors have everything they have. And I yeah. have seen that, Aubrey. I have seen it with my yeah, eyes. I have benefited from it myself. Yep. And so I guess I end the journey with saying, yeah, yeah, you have put your finger on something, but you know, but also else out you're, there you're too. missing, you're missing some of the other expressions. Yeah. I think yes. I, I do want to say this is how Charles ends, ends this interview at Rolling Stone magazine. He does say, though not an evangelical Christian, he still, uh, he still uh, considers himself a Christian. And maybe I'm wrong assuming he's not an evangelical Christian because he says this. I think in some ways evangelical culture in its non-lunatic forms <laughs> is much healthier than it's ever been. He says, my wife is an evangelical campus minister. Oh. And later he says, um, I just have to say though that on the announcement of this book, it's his book he's writing about this topic. He says, he, I have been so surprised to hear that this trope, too blessed to be stressed, is still pervasive within evangelical culture. That's such a formula for mental torment. It's a cruelty hmm. that really needs to be exposed. Wow. So he is still a Christian, still within Christian community, but just exposing some things that are, are painful. I think it's really, really interesting to continue uh uh, unpacking this concept of evangelical anxiety and, and yes. figure out ways we can move forward um, that point more people to Jesus in a healthy, holistic, flourishing way. It is the end of the show. The end of every show. We love to bring you something 
uh, challenging or inspiring or something to put a smile on your face. So I thought that's oh, what we, we, we've talked about some heavy that. stuff today. Yeah. So I yes. thought you and I needed to just make people laugh and make ourselves laugh ultimately. Please. So over at Board Panda, they're talking about <laughs> uh, funny things that happen as we age. And I'm going to read you the first one. These are tweets from other people that they've gathered together. And this one is hilarious. All right. Are you ready okay. for this? So this is a uh, funny things that happen when we age or funny tweets about growing old. Here's the first one. One way to find out if you're old is to fall down in front of a group of people. If they laugh, you're young. If they panic, you're old. (laughs) I thought that was good. Okay, that is funny. That's really funny. Yeah. All right. uh, Let's see. Here's another one. My daughter just asked why we say hang up the phone. And now I feel 90. Wow. I oh, that's, that's a good one. my mind. You're right. I haven't thought about that because you're right. We, we, we don't used to hang actually up physically hang it up back on the receiver. And now we don't do that anymore. Right. Okay. That is. That's funny. That one is really funny. Okay. I love this one because this is so accurate. You know, you're getting old when all of your injuries are a result of sleeping weird. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sad but true. Oh, so true. You wake up and you're like, my shoulder, my back, my neck, my... It's so true. I think that's so good. Okay, this next one I think has probably been true about me at any age, but I still liked it. You know you're getting old when you have a party... And the neighbors don't even realize it. (laughs) Yeah, that's for all the introverts out there. My my parties have always been like, tell us your favorite book. Have this cup of tea. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that's that's funny. Okay. um, Let's find another one that's good. Okay. Uh, This is number 11 on the list. It says, I thought I was just really tired. But it's been five years, so I guess this is how I look now. (laughs) Oops. That was pretty good. Oh, dear. Well, speaking of having a cup of tea, this one says, you know you're old when you enjoy having a day off to do laundry, clean, and have a cup of tea without being rushed. Oh, man, that's so true. Yeah. Oh, that that one's so true. Even yesterday, the 4th, I was like, oh, I can catch up on some articles and clean my house. Like, I was so excited to have a day off to do those things. That's so funny. I can drink my whole coffee without being interrupted. Without being interrupted, without having to reheat it again in the microwave. All right, here's another funny one. I always feel better when my doctor says something is normal for my age. But then I think dying will also be normal for my age at some point. (laughs) Oh, yikes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay, the less said about that, the better. Here's one. Hey, guys, remember when you could still refer to your knees as right and left instead of good and bad? (laughs) Good times. That's funny. That's funny. All right, this is another very entertaining one about aging. You know you're getting old when you watch Home Alone and wonder how much their mortgage is. Oh, seriously, <laughs> I mean, though. there's some truth to that. It's a big old house in the Chicago yeah. suburbs. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> this one's kind of a tongue twister. See if you can figure it out. Okay. The older I get, the earlier it gets late. <laughs> That is literally my life. I think I told yep. you this. When Kevin was out of town a couple weeks ago, I determined, like, and and 
I, I I will stay up till midnight. Like I just had decided <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Adults all over the world stay up till midnight. They watch yeah. TV. They read. They I'm gonna do it. And so at like 7 p.m., I drank coffee. Like I geared myself up for this. 10:30, I'm sound asleep on the couch, oh and goodness. I was just like, I. But 10:30 was a big win for me, Catherine, because you know I'm usually in bed by 9 p.m. I do know. So I made it to yep. I made it to 10:30 and now I'm yeah. officially an adult. Yes, older or later is getting earlier. At least for I'll, me. I was going to say you and I have kind of a communication breakdown because I'll be sending you texts at 10 o'clock, <laughs> so which you respond to at like 5:30. And yep. Yep. <laughs> All right, you're up next. Okay, here's another one. This is very funny. Uh one day you're not old. And the next day, you have a favorite grocery store. <laughs> oh, That's dear. a good one. Have you heard that song by Ben Rector called Living My Best Life? And he's, he's talking about getting older. And he says, like, I'm, I'm getting my steps in. I'm learning to eat fruit in season. I'm liking, I'm learning how to pick out ottomans. Like, it's so funny <laughs> about aging and how he's like, now this is my best life. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. Okay, here's one. uh, Number 21. Your 30s mostly consist of getting excited when you find out a professional athlete is older than you are. (laughs) That's true. I resonate with that. I'm not in my 30s at the moment. Right. But I remember that time period where I'd be like, wait, those like national heroes are babies. <laughs> it's so, it, that is so true. Or like your doctors keep getting younger and younger. Oh, that's feeling yeah. very strange. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's feeling very strange. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this one's, this one's pretty entertaining. By the time I get used to how old I am, I'm 10 years older than that. Oh. Somebody, somebody responded to that. For some reason, I felt like I was stuck at 27 until I turned 37. Now I'm stuck at 37. <laughs> I feel good. that way. I do. Yep. It takes a while to be like, oh, I'm 44. I'm not 34. I'm 44. That's a strange reality. It does take a while to get used to a Mm -hmm. new age. Yeah, There's always the age that I am in my head. And it's always, you know, two or three years younger than I always younger. I remember my my grandma always telling me that, Aubrey. You know, she'd she'd be 90. And she was like, I still feel like I'm a teenager inside. But then I look in the mirror and I'm like... (gasps) But she's like, I swear on the inside, I'm still the same 17-year-old yeah. I always was. Like, oh, yeah. I understand that. I do. Yes. I, I'm kind of sad to hear that, though. I was hoping it wouldn't be that way. I was no, hoping that her, at some point I would you, wake up and say, I am a wise and aged woman. <laughs> I am a mature adult who has wisdom. Nope, apparently yes, not. No. Apparently oh, not. Bummer. Yeah. Okay. Well, nevertheless, number 24, I have said this out loud before. Oh, let's hear you, it. You know you're getting old when your finger cramps up while scrolling down to find the year you were born on a website. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's Aubrey, good. Aubrey, I have to scroll so far <gasps> And down. it keeps getting farther and farther, doesn't it? They change yes. it. I'm telling you. Yes. I was at the doctor's office, actually, just a week ago, and they asked for my date of birth, and I said oh, my birth year, and yeah. then I was like, wow, that was a long was a time long ago. time ago. I, uh, it's so, it, yeah, it's so wild to say like the seventies. I mean, that's, Ooh. no, that's freaky. Ooh, yeah. Okay. This one is very entertaining. I think you'll relate to this, Catherine, because okay. I really do. Uh, it's a Friday night and I've been in bed watching Netflix and eating snacks for three hours. <laughs> Never let anyone tell you that getting old is terrible. 
men's sister. I like that one. I think that's a really good one. Well, I feel like those are some good, like hilariously honest tweets about getting old. I I remember reading a book, Catherine, by Tina Fey. She talked about like some things that people don't tell you about getting yeah. old. And one of the things that she talked about was how weird her feet were getting. <laughs> like she was like, I don't know what's happening. My toes are going in different directions. And then she also said, no one warns you how horrible your mouth taste oh. in the middle of the night as you get older she's like i wake up and i just like immediately need to brush my teeth because my mouth taste is terrible <laughs> i feel like those are some funny those are some funny things all right well if we missed anything anything that uh are just hilarious about getting older let us know on our social media at common good talk and thank you so much for being here with us today it's been a, a joy and a pleasure to be with you i loved it We'll be back again tomorrow. Catherine will actually be with me again tomorrow from back. 4 to 6 p.m. I'm coming back coming tomorrow. Back. That's right. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.